doesn't fit with ours. And I, and I kind of want to say, finally, I was preparing to preach this sermon in October of last year, and the Lord had other plans. So please turn with me to the book of Jonah. And we'll be looking through, Jonah's small enough, we'll be going through the whole book. I often like to start a series by preaching through the book. And so we'll preach the whole book tonight. We'll start by reading a a couple of verses in the beginning. This is a book that had a large impact on me while I was deployed in Kuwait. I I used it for several Bible studies with the different units as, as we went through and with different soldiers. And so today will be an overview sermon, and then we will go back and examine the individual passages, probably six to eight sermons total for this, this little book. So let us begin by reading the first three verses of the book of Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, now as we come to a book that is very familiar, we've heard it since childhood, many of us, very simple and yet very complex and has a message for each of us. Would you give us hungry and humble hearts to hear your word and be changed by it? For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you may have heard the question, what happens when you play a country song backwards? You get your dog back, your truck back, your job back, your house back. There's, there's a song, backwards, right? Just kind of doing a little having a little fun with the country genre because country songs are often tales of hard times when life goes wrong tales of woe they could have made a song or two about the book of Jonah because there's a lot that goes wrong it seems like everything that could go wrong did go wrong in his story the Lord, the covenant God of Israel gives Jonah an assignment but unlike one of his previous ones that was popular, this, this was not a mission he expected. It was so unpleasant that Jonah did the exact opposite. And things go from bad to worse, and Jonah has no choice to finally but to obey. And, and then he's wildly successful, but instead of rejoicing in this, he becomes angry. And as I understand Jonah throughout the book, he's probably the one that's writing it in retrospect. We don't know, but that would make sense. Throughout the book, he's basically saying, God, you are doing this all wrong. And after all, Jonah's final recorded words say something like this. I have every right to be angry. I'm so angry I want to die. Well, today we're going to look at God's word to us in the story of Jonah and see what happens when God's grace is not exactly what you expect. And what happens when you don't get it and you don't understand it? When you aren't changed by God's grace, you will find that everything goes wrong. So first we have prophecy gone wrong. Jonah gets this shocking assignment. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Now, Lord, there's Yahweh, so the covenant name of Israel. It's this personal relationship, this God who's chosen this special people. Word of the Lord, this is a historical occurrence. 
This is what happens when the, the word of the Lord comes to a prophet. So this is this is not a, a parable or a story that's made up. I think this would show that it's historical. And he says, call out against Nineveh and their evil. Right? The evil is a key theme of this book. We'll see that as we go through it. Now, Jonah is not happy, and this is understandable. The Assyrians in general were a barbaric people. The Assyrians in particular were the mortal enemies of Israel. And the Assyrians, Assyrians and Jonah made it a suicidal mission. When I was a kid, there were some books on Jonah that I had. I'm sure you probably remember that too. And, and one of them had the characters be animals. And kids, the, one of the books that I had, Jonah was a mouse. Can you guess what kind of animals the Ninevites were? They were the cats. And someone said it would be like a Jewish rabbi going to Nazi Germany and preaching on the streets that they repent. That's about the shelf life that Jonah should expect to have if he goes to Nineveh. But the Lord says, preach destruction, call out against it, preach judgment against it. Now, if God was on your side and you were going to preach against your mortal enemies, and perhaps the sin of, sinful part of you might kind of like this, right? I get to tell them off. I get to tell them that they're wrong. But there's a problem here. This, preach, this preaching was, mostly, uh, was most likely a pronouncement of judgment. It wasn't 100%. It's saying it's coming, which means it leaves the door open for God's mercy to work here. And that's concerning for Jonah. And so he does the exact opposite. He runs away. He says, Lord, this is not what I signed up for when you called me to be a prophet. Have you ever experienced that? Whether, whether you actually obey or not, have you ever experienced that? Uh, you know, last February I was, I was overseas and I'm, I'm just getting into the meat of my staff work as a unit and I'm just buried in slides and meetings and we had double meetings because we were transitioning and I thought all I'm doing is doing PowerPoint slides and meetings. God is, this is not what I signed up for. Is, it why, is this why you took me away from my family and church to come over here and do some PowerPoint slides? I'm just, God, what's going on here? Well, I didn't have a chance to run away, but Jonah did. And he does the exact opposite thing. The Lord commands him to go to the east by land to the center of the known world. And instead he goes to the west by sea to the edge of the known world as far as he can. Jonah is running away from the presence of the Lord. But, but can he even do that? Kids, is it possible to run away from God? When Samuel was three, there was a catechism question. Where is God? Question. Answer. God is everywhere. But, you know, we do not always think straight when our hearts are bent. So you have prophecy gone wrong. Then you have mission gone wrong. Missions gone wrong. Evangelism gone wrong. There's, there's this encounter that Jonah has as he sets sail with Phoenician sailors. Now, he's, he's going on this trip, and it's more involved than you might think. Today, if you were to do a flight from Tel Aviv to Israel to Madrid, which is somewhere around there, you know, the Iberian Peninsula. It's five to six hours direct flight. But that time, ancient travel in the Mediterranean was dangerous. There were storms, pirates, leaks in ships. And Jonah took a trip that was probably five times longer than Nineveh. It was at least a good month. There was no easy return. You could argue that in running from God, Jonah actually took the more dangerous path. We don't know how long Jonah's at sea, but it becomes clear that God will not let him go. So let's read verses 4 through 6. But the Lord 
hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise! Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So God comes to Jonah by bringing the storm. He's not going to let him go. And as soon as the storm hits, a lot of surprising things begin to happen. First, Jonah goes to sleep. And we don't know. It's not really the tense. The timing is not really precise. But he might even have done it in the middle of the storm. We don't know. It may have been before. It may have been in the middle. But he's not shocked. It's almost as if he was, as if he was saying, yeah... I was expecting something like this. After all, can you really run away from God? Well, second, the sailors show, the pagan sailors show more compassion for Jonah than Jonah does for them. Let's keep reading. Verse 7. And they, the mariners, said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come on us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? Where is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, has done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. So you can see there, there's, there's some compassion going on here. First of all, they're the ones that are concerned for the general loss of life, not Jonah. And then they cast lots, and they find that it's Jonah's fault, and instead of being angry with him, they're actually trying to save his life. He's, he tells them to throw them overboard, and, and they say, is there anything else we can do? You can also see, surprisingly, that these pagan sailors are more spiritually sensitive to Jonah. They're the ones saying, pray to your God. They're the ones casting lots. In verse 16, it says that the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. We'll look into that in another sermon. But that's, that is language of covenantal Israelite worship. It's almost like Jonah saying they, they come to some real understanding of who Yahweh is here. It's very possible. So what you see here is missions gone wrong. Jonah ran away to avoid proclaiming Yahweh to pagan Gentiles and ends up doing just that. Wasn't what he expected. He's running away from his mission, and yet God still uses him in his disobedience. So Jonah wants to get out of his, his mission, and so he says, throw me overboard. But God has other ideas. Verse 17. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. 
And here you have sacrifice gone wrong. Now, we don't know all of the motives, but it does seem that maybe at the end, Jonah says, hey, look, it's, it's my fault. You throw me over, you'll be saved. There may have been some positive motives there. We're not quite sure. But he says, throw me over. That'll take care of it. And maybe as a side benefit, Jonah was expecting to die, and that would take care of that pesky mission that he had to do. But the Lord sends a big fish to deliver Jonah. At the same time, it gives him a, a bit of a cool-off period. Three days and nights is one of the more uncomfortable accommodations. Might, might give you some time to think. Kids, have you, your parents ever sent you to your room and said, hey, you, know, you need to go to your room so you can cool down. You need to, you need to settle down. Well, that's a pretty long time out, isn't it? But Jonah has three days to think about why he's there and why he gets this wrong or why he is this way. And then he prays. And I would argue here we have prayer gone wrong. Let's listen to this prayer. Jonah chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, in many ways, this is a beautiful prayer. It's, there's a lot of great theology in here. It's a, I think some, a, some sincere desire by Jonah to worship the Lord again. He's describing how God's rescued him. He's, he's sinking deep down into the ocean, into the realm of the dead. He's given himself up as dead. He says, it's like the very seaweed is rising up to strangle me and pull me down into the gates of death. And I realize, I want to live. God, I want to praise you. I want to worship at your temple again. He prays for deliverance and the Lord hears him. And so there's many ways it's a beautiful prayer and yet, as, as theologically dense and correct and beautiful as it is, it's missing something. You know, Jonah admits something very important. In very important spots, there's a lot of you and very little I. Look at verse 3. Why, you know, Jonah, why are you there? Well, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All of your waves and your billows passed over me. And we'll spend more time looking at Jonah's motivations here. But you have to ask Jonah, why were you there in the first place? And he never admits his part in the near-death experience. Was God put me here. What was the reason why God put you there, Jonah? And he never repents in his prayer. He never repents. Jonah prays much more like a righteous sufferer than someone who's being disciplined for his disobedience. So it's a great prayer. It's just the wrong time, Jonah. Hmm. There's a little dissonance here. 
Something wrong with the heart. And how does God respond? Verse 10. The Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. Now, vomit isn't a pretty word. In fact, we wouldn't let our kids use it all the time. They would say there's certain words that we use in certain places and we don't just, you know, speak of them all the time. It's not pretty in English and it's not pretty in Hebrew. In fact, when, when it talks about vomit in other places, it usually talks about God being disgusted with his people for their disobedience. If you, if you do not keep my laws and commandments, I will vomit you out of the land. And there might be just a hint of a negative connotation here about how God hears Jonah's prayer. You can't help but think, after his lack of responsibility, how much has Jonah changed in that fish? Well, in chapter 3, we have preaching gone wrong. Let's read the first two verses. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out it against it, the message that I tell you. Does this sound familiar? It's almost word for word, the commands what God gave to Jonah in the beginning of chapter 1. And I read this, and I'm thinking, you know, Jonah, if you had just obeyed, we could have started the story at chapter 3. We could have, you know, this could have been a lot shorter. You could have skipped the running away, the ocean voyage, the savage storm, the near-death experience, the, the one-star accommodations in the whale. If you had just obeyed, you could, we could have started in chapter 3, and life would have been a whole lot easier. It was actually God's mercy to Jonah that he got his attention rather than letting him get his way and go to Tarshish away from his presence. Well, how does Jonah respond to God's mercy? Well, there's more surprises. Read verses 3 and 4. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. He obeys according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Jonah arrives. He goes to this, this massive city. And here's the first curious thing. It's the shortest sermon ever. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Benediction, amen. Head out. It's likely that Jonah said this multiple times, and there's a good chance that he said more than this in his defense. But his sermon in Hebrew is five words long. And it, kind of, it seems to me that he is only doing this because he has to, and he'd like to do it as quickly and painlessly as possible, and then be gone. Well, here's the second curious thing. The Ninevites listened to this shortest ever sermon recorded. Verse 5, the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and satin ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now, there are limits on this repentance 
unlike the sailors, where they, they may have had a, a genuine conversion. This is not a full acceptance of the Lord as God. Nineveh keeps their gods. A few centuries later, they will be judged for their evil ways. But the city repents and it's of its present wickedness, and the Lord decides to relent of the judgment and graciously pulls back the, the, the announced doom. So this leads to the next curious thing. You would expect Jonah to be happy that his mission wasn't a success. Maybe even fight a little human pride. You know, I'm a rock star prophet. No one else could have done this, but you know, here we are. No. I'll just say, if I held chapel services next time and all of the the sailors, the soldiers that I would not expect to come showed up and accepted Jesus, I'd be doing backflips. But not Jonah. He's angry. He's angry to the core And here you get to the heart of the matter of grace gone wrong. Chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Literally, it was a great evil to Jonah. Now, what does this say about Jonah's heart? Well, the Lord was concerned about Nineveh's evil. The Ninevites turned from their evil. The Lord relented of the disaster, same word as evil, that he would bring to them. And this turn of events seemed to Jonah to be a great evil. Now, in one way, you can sympathize with Jonah. These were his sworn enemies. They were pagans. They brutalized the nations around them. You can imagine Jonah arguing with God. They have tortured your neighbors. They, They have made a mockery of your teachings. They're the mortal enemies of your people. You're telling me to preach their judgment, and you're just going to let them go with a little bit of a repentance, God? That's not just. God, you're doing grace wrong. So he vents his frustration in another prayer. Verse 2, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew you are a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. God, this is why I ran away. I knew the type of God you were. You are gracious and merciful, and I didn't want this for my enemies. And the Lord responds, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah, if you know I'm a gracious God, what what right do you have to be angry if I choose to show my grace to those outside of Israel? And Jonah cannot give a good answer, so he waits. Verse 5, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under its shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now, I can tell you from experience, it is hot in the Middle East. You think it was warm today? You know, I checked outside, I checked the weather in Kuwait City. It's a high of 104 today. It'll be 109 tomorrow. Sitting outside is not comfortable, especially only with partial shade of his little booth. And so once again, Jonah puts himself willingly by his, his choices in an uncomfortable position. And once again, the Lord pursues Jonah. Verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over him to save him from his discomfort. 
So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. The plant climbs up, probably a castor oil plant. It it, it can grow very quickly, increases the shade. Jonah sits back and says, ah, but God's not done. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and say, said, it was better for me to die than to live. You would think when it's hot, that wind would be helpful. And that works until it gets to be about 90 or 100 degrees. And then it just increases the temperature. It feels like a blow dryer. There's times where it will pick up rocks and dust and it will pelt you. There was one time when I was in Iraq. I don't know if this is what Jonah was experiencing. He probably was in Iraq. But I just, you saw the wind coming and it's hot and you are sweaty. And then you see this wall of brown. You just turn your back and you feel the grit and the pebbles and the pelts your back and it goes on by. It's just, you know, it's not a place that I'd build a summer home personally. But this, maybe that was what Jonah was experiencing. It's not fun, and he is spitting mad. He has been shipwrecked, swallowed by a whale, forced to travel a long distance, preached to a hated city, now scorched by the elements. Never mind, this is most of his own doing, but he's done. I want to die. Verse 9. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. God says, Really, Jonah? Do you have a right to be angry over the plant? Jonah says, yes, I want to die. End of story. Last recorded words. Well, how does God respond? The last two verses of Jonah. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons? who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. The Lord says, Jonah, you had compassion on the plant because of how it made you feel. It grew up in a day. It died in a day. You did nothing to grow. You, you have no right to complain about it. It's, it's not even a person. But Nineveh, it's a city with 120,000 people. That was a, a vast, sprawling metropolis back then with all of its animals. And they've repented and turned from their sins. Should I not have compassion on them? And the story ends. What happened to Jonah? We don't know. God deliberately leaves the story unfinished. Unfinished stories have this way of leaving us with nagging questions that confront you. That you can't just have an easy answer and go on. Here's a question that I began asking as I read through Jonah multiple times. Just who did God want to save in the book of Jonah? Who did God have his sights on to rescue? Perhaps the key verse of the entire book is the end of Jonah's prayer. Jonah 2.9, salvation belongs to the Lord. That's the kind of God we serve. So who did God want to save? The Phoenician sailors, well, yes, he used Jonah in his disobedience to reveal himself to them. The Ninevites, yes, he had compassion on them. But was there someone else? Someone 
who experienced God's grace, someone who talked of his grace, who gladly worshipped at the temple, and yet when it came time to demonstrate God's grace to others, showed that he didn't understand it. Had Jonah been a faithful prophet, really, all that you would need is chapter 3. Go preach. He does it. Nineveh repents. All rejoice at this unexpected work and show of God's mercy. Instead, Jonah's disobedience, his reluctance, his outright anger shows that he too was in danger of judgment and needed to be rescued by God. And this book applies to us because here we are. We're God's people. We're basking in his grace and all the privileges of the means of grace as we worship twice, as we have more scriptures printed than any time ever, and we have it electronically. We have so much at our fingertips. And looking at Jonah, who was a prophet of the Lord, very well respected, the the cream of the religious elite, should give you pause to stop and say, is there a way in which I don't understand grace either? Is there a way that I... Do I ever get mad at God because of the way he works? Because of the people he uses? The tasks he asks me to do? Something that's completely unexpected. Do I ever say, God, you're doing grace wrong? And just like the book of Jonah, we're going to end abruptly. Please pray with me. Father, it's true that you have blessed us with incredible mercy. We have had the incredible graces of growing up, hearing about your grace, the worship, the sacraments, the fellowship of your church. Great Father, may it not be that we are people who are unchanged by your grace. Would you let us be cheerful servants, gladly sharing your grace? You know that since you've saved us, there was no one else who was less deserving than us. Would you root out our self-righteousness, our bitterness, our anger from our hearts as we encounter our Jesus at the cross in a deeper and ever-growing way? Use your word as we continue throughout these nights to challenge us and to comfort us. We thank you for the book of Jonah. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.